Our meditation for this second Sunday in Easter is on our Gospel reading. Hear the word of our Lord from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of St. John, beginning in the 19th verse. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of our Lord. God be praised for his glad tidings. Now grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One has to wonder why Thomas doubted. Surely he heard Mary Magdalene and the other women give their testimony, how an angel told them that Jesus had risen, and then they saw our Lord themselves. As if that were not enough, the ten other apostles and the other disciples who saw Jesus alive told him Jesus had risen from the dead. Yet he did not believe them. Clearly, this man, brought up with knowledge of the law, would have understood the establishment of claims by multiple witnesses. It's established in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, and our Lord Jesus speaks of that rule in John 8:17 as a valid heuristic for determining the truth of any claim. Before Christ appeared to the apostles the second time, Thomas also had every opportunity to visit the empty tomb. Chances are, if any of us today had between 15 and 20 people all breathlessly claiming the same thing, and if any of us could go out and see the circumstantial evidence of their words, we would likely believe it. 
If all your friends came and told you with a straight face that they saw a flying pig, and you go out and you see feathers on the ground nearby, each with that familiar hog-like farm animal scent, it is reasonable, assuming they're not pranking you, to believe that they at least saw something that convinced them. So St. Thomas really didn't have an excuse to not believe. He had a motivation for doubting, but it wasn't out of reason. I doubt it was a rational thing because he had so many people saying this to him. And again, he could have gone out between the first appearance of Christ when he first hears what the women are saying and the second appearance of our Lord to all the apostles he could have checked that tomb and seen that it was empty. He could have heard the stir going around in Jerusalem with various people trying to explain everything. Oh, maybe the apostles somehow came and stole the body of Christ. Maybe Jesus just swooned and didn't really die on that cross and people just thought that he was dead. All sorts of chatter and muttering going on around the city, I am sure, just as it happens today. And Thomas, being a rational human being, would understand that, well, that's all hogwash. No, Untrained fishermen from Galilee are not going to be able to overpower armed, trained soldiers to steal a body. Even if they ambushed them, there's this thing, it's called armor. So they're not going to be able to just knock out Roman guards and call it a day. And for the idea that Jesus didn't actually die on that cross... The report that he had been stabbed through with a spear in case he was still alive doesn't lend any credence to the idea that he was merely swooning. And then he was covered with pounds and pounds of spices and wrapped up in a cloth so that veritably if he had still been alive he would have been suffocated to death. And then they placed him in a tiny little tomb where he is exposed to the cold of the day to limited oxygen in addition to being smothered. There's no way that he just somehow survived being crucified, stabbed, suffocated, and then exposed to the elements. Give me a break. Thomas was no fool. He knew that our Lord Jesus died, and he knew that nobody had stolen the body. But he couldn't bring himself to believe. There was something in St. Thomas that said, I cannot accept this. Even though all the evidence points to it, even though there are multiple eyewitnesses, over a dozen of them all saying the exact same thing with perfect harmony, something shut out Thomas's heart. He wasn't Saint Thomas yet. But if he had no rational reason to doubt and refuse to believe in this resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, why did he refuse to believe? If you ask me, my speculation is that he was too comfortable with disappointment. 
He had grown up in occupied Judea, where every fleeting moment of hope was snatched away either at the last moment or far before hope could truly take hold. He grew up under the callous thumb of oppressive rulers, both the Romans and the ruling religious authorities there, squishing the little guy. And every time there was a rebellion, it was destroyed. Every time there was a religious movement that might speak of independence, it was castigated. Remember, this is the time when there are Essenes out there floundering in their attempts at forming a religious community that means it. There's the Qumran community, which at this point is just a group of madmen sitting in the desert fantasizing about ultimate victory. There are the Sadducees openly betraying their people and colluding with the Romans. There are the Pharisees who make nods to justice. They feed people a little bit of hope with the coming of this Messiah. But St. Thomas saw those same Pharisees crying out for Jesus' blood, just like the Sadducees, just like the former Essenes in the crowd that had been baptized by John the Baptist. And Thomas even knew former followers of Jesus Christ himself that were in that crowd crying out, crucify him, crucify him. At this point, Thomas is so used to frustration, so used to pain that he cannot imagine anything good happening in his life. If you ask me why Thomas doubted, I believe at this point in his life, he is living in misery and cannot tolerate the possibility of something good. He's not going to risk another disappointment. He does not want to entertain the possibility of being set up for failure yet again. This is most likely an emotional barrier to faith, not a rational one. The gospel in that moment sounded too good to be true. Now this challenges our Lutheran theology. After all, how many times have we heard other pastors say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word concerning Christ? It's in the scriptures. It's in the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17. We understand that God works through means to inspire faith in people and to open up the eyes of their souls. So why then does Thomas, who hears the gospel, the word concerning our Lord Christ, over and over and over again, why does he stubbornly refuse this unless there is a barrier to his believing? Don't call it skepticism or scientific pride. Thomas saw our Lord Jesus performing miracles. He knew that the supernatural exists. Don't tell me the Lutheran truism of he just needed to hear the law. He had an ugly, evil, rebellious heart that needed to be broken down by the need for a savior. Thomas knew this. He knew this. He was with our Lord Christ for three years. Hearing, repent, for the kingdom of God is at 
hand. St. Thomas knew the law. He breathed all three uses of the law. And here he is. Even though he has every motivation to have faith, he's not some sort of skeptic. He does not struggle with pride. After all, he went into hiding just like the other apostles. And he has no excuse rationally to not believe. He says, unless I see these holes in his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. Give me a break. This was emotional. This was a man's heart being stony after a lifetime of disappointment and pain. And if Christ had not appeared to him, saying, Here I am. Go ahead. Put your finger in the holes in my hands. Go ahead, put your hand in my side. Believe. If Jesus had not done that, our friend Thomas would never have become Saint Thomas. And he would have died in his sins, having stubbornly held on to his pain. Praise the Lord that he is St. Thomas, because our Lord did show up and say, put your finger here. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Then Thomas becomes St. Thomas, having saving faith in our Lord. He says, my Lord and my God, he proclaims our Lord Jesus to be divine. And he breaks down those barriers. There are some people who no matter what, under no circumstances, will not believe except if they see Jesus. And he says to all of them, as with Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas's eyes were opened through a miraculous appearance of our risen Lord. Indeed, it was a miracle. He didn't just walk in and knocking on the door. He appears in the room while the doors are locked. It's very supernatural. There's no denying it. Thomas has even less of an excuse at this point. But it's not just seeing Jesus. It's Christ by his power bringing faith to St. Thomas. Now, you might be hearing this and going, that's very well and good. I have a friend who, no matter what I say to him, will not believe in Jesus. I wish our Lord Jesus would give him the same treatment that he gave St. Thomas. Why can't our Lord Jesus just show up and confirm it to these people, saying, yes, I am real? I'm sure you had many discussions with these individuals. It doesn't matter what kind of apologetics you pull out of your hat. It doesn't matter how easily you are able to show the contradictions and absurdities of the worldview that they pretend to hold. None of that matters. They will not believe. No matter what, they simply will not. And maybe you have even called them out with the law because it's plain to see that they refuse to believe in Jesus on account of some pet sin that they don't want to let go of, whether that's alcoholism or sexual sin or theft or idolatry or greed. Something is keeping them back and you hammer them with the law, somehow staying friends with them as you tell them like it is. 
You are just holding on to your pet sin, my friend. Why don't you let go of that? It's not going to save you. Your money isn't going to help you at Judgment Day. Your live-in girlfriend is worthless on Judgment Day. She cannot save you. And you understand that the punishment for all of these things is life in hell forever rather than heaven. But our Lord Jesus is offering you an escape. And your friend stubbornly says, no. You wish, somehow, that our Lord would just show up like he did for St. Thomas and say, I'm real, your friend is right, you are wrong, believe in me and be saved. Let's get you to church. You wish that that would happen, but there's two problems there. One, our Lord does not like it when people test him. And somebody saying, I'm going to test God now, well, that's not going to end well for them. Chances are he's just not going to show up. Besides, they have no excuse, right? They have no excuse. The witness of scripture, the witness of all the apologetics in the world, everything points to our Lord Christ. He puts his hands around all of reality and says, mine. Nobody has an excuse to deny him. They already have enough evidence to believe. But then, also, if Jesus did show up, there's no guarantee that they are going to react the same way St. Thomas did. They didn't spend three years with him in ministry. They did not see his compassion on everybody. By all means, they might have their eyes opened spiritually and bow before him, saying, as St. Thomas did, my Lord and my God. They might do what St. Paul does on the road to Damascus when he was Saul. Scales popping up over their eyes, they remain silent for a few days, and eventually you pray for your friend, and the first thing they do is praise the Lord for salvation. That's a possibility. You know what else is a possibility? Them falling on their face and screaming in terror, totally mentally broken. Christ comes to you in one of two ways, either as your redeemer or as your judge. And for an impenitent sinner, he's going to show up and they're going to feel judgment. They will be so terrified, words cannot describe it. So, there's a reason our Lord Jesus doesn't just show up to every human being on earth and say, believe in me. Not everybody gets the Thomas treatment. But everybody, to a certain extent, so long as they know a Christian, does interact with Jesus. After all, what is the church here on earth? It is the body of Christ. Every time a non-believer interacts with a believer, they are interacting with a representative of Jesus here on earth. And that means they might not see Jesus just pop into a locked room and say, hey, believe in me. But they do interact with somebody who represents Jesus, who can show the love of Christ, his patience, his sternness on occasion, his generosity, even his agape love. The unbeliever is an enemy of the church on account of Christ, but we are called to love our enemies because when we do so, 
we show Christ to them. We are called to not be of the world, and we are also called by the very same St. John that wrote this gospel that we are to not love the world. But for those poor lost souls in the world, they do see our love, as well as the kind of love that says, Repent ye sinners. And eventually, some of them will recognize that they are not perceiving you merely speaking to them but they see someone that represents Jesus showing himself to them through you. They will know we are Christians by our love, the song goes. And as much as the world hates you on account of that love and on account of Christ, it is nonetheless true that many out there in the world will come to faith through this love shown to them. The love that says you are a sinner, the love that says Jesus died for your sins, trust in him for salvation, the love that says your worldview, your atheism, your Buddhism, your whatever is garbage, the love that says I have something better for you, the love that we show to them that says I will feed you when you are hungry. I will give you a glass of water if you are thirsty. If you need to crash at my place, it's open to you. And while we are called to love our own families more, we're called to love our own kin more, such that if the two ever come into conflict, the family that we love versus the stranger coming to attack us, we defend our family. And the same goes for defending ourselves even that demonstrates Christ to them by showing them just how fiercely our Lord Jesus will fight for his own. We cannot guarantee the St. Thomas experience to anybody that is a non-believer, and nor can we by our own power break down those barriers like Jesus did. But having put on Christ in our holy baptism, we represent him on earth and can do the next best thing if the Holy Spirit should guide us to be that for a non-believer. The word of God is the most powerful means for conversion. But we must confess that sometimes the believer himself is a means by which he brings souls to him. While our Lord Jesus has personally appeared to very, 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 very few people since 33 AD, he continues to say, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, because they see Christ through the body of Christ, rather than seeing some holes in some hands or a spear wound in the side. They learn to have a faith that is stronger than St. Thomas's. May we then, representing Christ, be of the same attitude, loving our neighbors as ourselves, loving our enemies as well, though not as much as our family or our neighbor. May we continue on in that love to be effective witnesses. And by God's strength, may we be patient as well, knowing that it takes a lot longer for most people than it did for St. Thomas. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.